know what, Hagar? Today, what month is this? Uh, August? We've been living with this pandemic for eight months now. Well, uh, the pandemic started sometime in January in uh, China. And this past uh, six months here in here in Jakarta, we only started the lockdown since the social distancing and the lockdown since six months. And, uh, you know, this this has been uh, changing moments in our life. It's changing our lifestyles. Well, it's affecting everything. It changes everything. Um, I, I see it also. I feel it also on my side. And mm-hmm. um, in the street, I see the city is changing and reacting to social distance. Or even, you know, here in Berlin, the social distance is not a big thing. We don't wear masks everywhere. Oh, really? But... Um, it does it does affect everything so the city is definitely changing mm-hmm. um in the previous podcast um we recorded about this uh, social distancing so we talked about how the situation is uh, driving people to leave the city migrate uh, to the outskirts the the countryside but but before that we would like to introduce ourselves. My name is Prima, and here with me is Hagar. We're both practicing architect in Jakarta and Berlin, respectively. The podcast is a complimentary publication to our essay, hosted in collaboration with UrbanNext.net, so be sure to check it out. And you can also find us in Instagram, Spotify, and UrbanNext.net website. So, Hagar, Today, we're going to continue talking about COVID-19, the global pandemic, and how it will definitely affect urban design. What do you think? I mean, I do agree that it's affecting the city and the city is changing and the human behavior is changed, but not necessarily because people are leaving the city or talking about it. Mm -hmm. I think that was strong in the beginning, definitely in the quarantine. Yeah, because somehow I feel, I feel like lifestyle is stronger. I feel lifestyle is what's going to, is going to, well, if you imagine, if you take your skin and you pull it a bit, right, and it always wants to go back to its original. St- I think this yeah. is what's happening now. So now it's kind of like we're stretching, we're looking for the right, yeah, point. But it always, it would always like to go back to its natural state, and I think. In a way, this is what happens in the city, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you f- like you feel the change. There, if you see the restaurants, so the the tables are a, a bit apart, so you have more of this uh, intim- intimacy. If you sit with a friend or a group of friends, and actually, because a lot of a lot of people are not working or working from home, you see more people in the street. Yeah. Also, it has to do with the summer, I guess, but but not only. Um, mm. you, you see more people outside, and I think people are somehow more relaxed because they're smiling a lot, <laughs> which also <laughs> affects um, some days. Yeah, some days people, I think, understand the situation or they haven't seen their relative. I haven't seen my family for eight months now, even nine months. <laughs> so, um, so it does affect the street. I don't know if people left the city already. 
um it's hard to say because it's summer break also yeah yeah but, uh, yeah but i see i see the point yeah but uh what, what when i'm saying when i'm saying living the city i meant that uh there are some urban designer that called called out that we need to create social distancing the problem could be caused by density and uh i think we can look into past examples where density is not necessarily the main problem Right. I, I think maybe it's the right point to differentiate between uh, those two terms, right? I think people yeah. are confusing the social distancing and the, and the urban densification. Yeah. Which uh, I see why, but I don't think it's the same thing, right? It's uh, very different. Yes. Um, and I think this is important before we go deeper to differentiate between the two. Yeah, when yeah. we say urban densification, it's not that we're saying people should just walk very close to each other in the street. <laughs> it's not what we're saying. No. <laughs> so just just to be on the same page. We, so we have to we have two examples, right? The first one would be the uh, cholera outbreak right. in the in the eighteen hundreds, and then the second one is the Spanish flu. So, okay. so let's yeah. start. Well, let's start with the cholera outbreak. So let's let's talk about the London uh, cholera outbreak. Let's start with that. And um, before, just let me say some things uh, about London in the eighteen fifty four, where the outbreak took place. Um, the city didn't had the system we know today, the sewage system. This was actually. Uh, the trigger that's where that was the the point where people realized we need to separate the clean water from the dirty water um, so the city uh, relied on the Thames for clean water fresh supply and underneath the houses they would had something that called a cesspool to collect all the dirty water mm. um, so at 1854 um, in Broad Street now it's called uh, Broadwick Street in yeah. Soho, London. Um, there was an outbreak um, of the, the cholera. Um, it was not the first time. Um, it's not the first time that it happened. Uh, it started already in India, right? I think was the first outbreak years before. Yeah. Um, so that was um, the third major outbreak of the, col uh, the cholera. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it took the lives only, only in the broad street. Yeah, it took the life of 616 people. I think it was maybe, you couldn't really keep the record. Uh, so I guess this is an estimation. Mm -hmm. um, let me add also that um, Back then, no one knew uh, there was no one talked about the germ theory yet. That only came years later in 1861 with yep. Louis Pasteur, um, yep. who recognized the germs. So before that, um, people only knew or from previous uh, diseases and pandemics that they were talking about the miasma, right? So this is they thought that it all being carried in air. 
So yeah. when the cholera outbreak uh, started, um, they immediately went to that theory. They started with that theory and started to investigate. Um, and I think at this point, it's also um, important to say that the role of tradition, right? So, so when something happens, you use the tools you already know. Yeah. And this is what you rely on. And, and it's a bit difficult to be creative, though you have to be creative, right? And uh, at this point, um, uh, we we learn. We let's say let's introduce John Snow, um, who actually started to from, investigate. From Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see Game of Thrones. I'm sorry, didn't see. Oh. I'm the only person who didn't see it. You're the only person. Okay. No, sorry. Mm. Next time. Next lifetime. Next lifetime. Um, <laughs> So uh, he actually started um, this research in 1849, so five years before um, the pandemic, um, or before it was even a pandemic, before the first case um, was discovered, uh, about um, the water and the infection in the water, carrying out in the water, right? So um, going back a bit to the Thames, so what happened when people had the the cesspools and they thought it's about to be too full they emptied it into the thames right they just thought about okay we need more space you know thinking let's save space for us and let's mm -hmm. throw it to the thames to their defense they didn't understand back then what they were doing right because we talked about the germs theory discovered only later and they didn't know the water can carry the the pollution the, the infection so people do that okay. um and then um, Snow um, started to to look for for the reason. Yeah, he he, he started to um, to investigate where what is the source for the infection. So uh, as Snow was uh, skeptical about this miasma, and he started to to research also with the background of what he already thought it might be in the water. Um, he met uh, a priest living also in the area of the outbreak. Uh, his name was Whitehead, right? Am I saying yeah, it right? Yeah, Reverend Whitehead. So uh, this reference, Whitehead was uh, drinking alcohol. So he was. He tells the story about how they met and they were sitting, they took samples of the water and he realized that um, he's taking a bottle of brandy and adding it into his glass of water. Mm. And, uh, and actually the, the, the priest was never sick. He never got the cholera, though he lived in the same district where everybody got this disease. And then he, so, he, so you're saying drinking actually save your lives, right? Drinking alcohol. Actually. Drinking alcohol. I want to to support drinking alcohol. Also before five o'clock. <laughs> oh, well, well, back then, I mean, he, no one thinks about it. But the fact that he was a drunken person, I don't want. To, I mean, he was probably a nice person. I don't know him, but I guess that if you add brandy to every drink you take, so. But it it saved his life. Yes. Um, and um, this was the point where um, Mr. Snow realized that it might be in the water and that the alcohol is um, clearing it. So mm. 
um, and how how did they get also to this um, to to know where to take the water? This was also the interesting thing, right? How how he took the map and and started to mark the the cases of yeah. the cholera, um, and and he saw that the black dots he's marking on on the map are around this one pump in specific, um, yeah. and then. The Yes, and then to convince to remove the handle so mm -hmm. people will not drink it, bringing me again to the tradition and the human behavior that if they would not have done that act of taking the, the handle, the, the pump handle, yeah. then people, even if you would tell them, listen, the water is dangerous, don't drink the water. We don't know yet why, but it's dangerous. People, because the tradition and, and what you know until today the miasma, right? They were counting on the miasma. They thought they were pretty sure that's the case, uh, that it's carrying by air. Um, people would not collaborate. So they really had to remove this thing. That's what I imagine, right? Yeah. Um, um, after that, they, they, they researched and, and they realized that there is, in fact, one of those um, cesspools polluting the, the water fountain. So it was leaking from the first case, the, the first case was the baby and uh, the mother washed the diapers of this baby um, and the water ran into the fresh water source. Um, and this is how the, the pump was the source for distributing the disease. Yeah. The cholera, yeah. And actually the city back then was pretty dense. It was pretty dense and... Um, but the fact that it was dense was not a factor there, right? I mean, because it was carried by the water. So it was, I'm not sure, was it infected? Uh, if you... I, I, I guess, I guess the water would, uh, I mean, density has uh, a lot of facets. And one of them would be water and waste management, having a, having a dense uh a population in a small area with bad water and waste management would uh, would drive that kind of uh, uh, disease spread. I also want to talk about how Jon Snow actually put the put the map and put the uh, the victims' uh, uh, numbers in the in the graph bar and then basically created the first infographic in the world. All right. Uh, we're, we're actually basing our, our conversation on this book by Steve Johnson in the ghost map. You guys should check it out. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that when you put it into infographic, you can actually see where the problem uh, came from. And, and, yeah, and the thing. nice thing also about mm -hmm. this map, by the way, that it was created... I mean, when you think about it, he, he, he realized that he needs a wider view, right? Like the, the, the aerial bird view, the, right? The bird's eye view, yeah, yeah. But in fact, he was using very intimate, like the way he collected the information to mark it on the map was very uh, personal, like street view, walking house to house, going inside, understanding who is sick and why. And yeah. so it's a mixture of those two perspectives that help him 
and and also very, to be very concrete about what he's looking for who is sick and he's marked so it, it's not because there was another trial to to create this kind of map but it was overloaded with with information well he just checked one thing and presented it on the map using those two perspectives this wider bird view on the neighborhood and um walking door to door yeah and right. I just re I just realized something when when you say when you say about the uh, aerial perspective, and also when when I was talking about the infographic. So basically, the infographic was the map of Broad Street with the with the bar graph of the number of people who died. That's why the book is called Ghost Map. Like it's a map of ghosts. Like what? I just realized that all these years. <laughs> All those years of not knowing why it's called. <laughs> Sorry, I hope I... What do we learn from the uh, cholera outbreak in London? Uh, what what, what we, do we learn? Uh, okay, so what we learn from it actually uh, turns out we can we can have a bigger population in the city, like before before the incident of the of uh, the Broad Street cholera outbreak the urban metro can only sustain probably 2 million population and now now it's just an now now a metro we can sustain about like 20 to 30 millions in shanghai or new york or tokyo and it's not something that you can achieve without having a waste management so basically this uh, incident, from this incident, we learned that we can actually uh, expand our density. And the problem with the density is not with the number of the population habiting in one certain area, but it's in how you manage the water, the electricity, or most importantly, the waste. And that's what that's what actually happened in the London cholera outbreak. Yes. Um, also, I think we learned um, that a pandemic could inspire you to yeah. to help the city uh, with its evolution, right? So mm -hmm. because there was there was the cholera, there was the outbreak. And then they they took they they learned something right they learned about how the disease uh, was behaving the the virus how the virus is is being distributed and they acted and and they created the sewage system yeah. which is now used in all major cities and more yeah. so I think this evolution of the city and 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 improving the city this is a strong act. Um, because they didn't say, okay, we give up on this. It's, yeah, it's too dense. Uh, let's go all and live in, this, in the countryside, right? No, they stayed in the city. They improved it. So yeah. I think um, that was, a, in a way, a good result, right? Because it allowed the city to keep on evolving and to and densify. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, the, yeah, as you said, the water management was improved and um, it also led to better lifestyle. Right. So mm, yes. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk then about 
the Spanish flu, Ooh. which we learned that it's just wrong to call it the Spanish flu because it was actually everywhere else but in Spain first. Uh -huh. uh, right, the first case was at 1918. So let's say there was the second, the, the first world war um, ended at also in 1918 or so, right? It was between 1914 to 1918. And then this disease started. Um, actually, first uh, cases were discovered in the US and, um, and then also um, in other places. But the thing is that uh, because of the war and they didn't want people to be depressed for it i guess the, they didn't want the soldiers to be depressed of it and and, yeah. and they didn't want to influence the war in that way so um spain which was the only one not participating um so to say or maybe i'm too extreme but they were neutral mm -hmm. as i understand so um yeah. there uh, there was no censor and 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 they just reported it so they they thought that it's more um, aggressive there because they were the only one talking about the the flu. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing about the Spanish flu um, was one of the deadliest um, diseases, uh, pandemics. Um, it affected 500 million people, uh, about third of the world's population at the time. Yeah. And um, the death, 17 million and 50 million. That is somehow the scale in between. It's hard to keep record, yeah. I guess, back then because of the, the war and everything. Um, so uh, it was one of the the deadliest pandemics we've seen as a um, society in our yeah. history. And um, the interesting thing about this disease um, is that the people living in the cities um, were somehow more resistant to the to the disease. Yeah. Um, and apparently, uh, because they were uh, living in the city and they change on a daily based germs between them, their immune system was stronger and they could yeah. uh, deal better with the disease. So, so most of the people who died from the, the, the disease were actually living outside the city. Yeah. which gives a nice um, perspective. Well, nice. When I say nice, I don't mean nice. <laughs> <laughs> a, a perspective about um, a bit about uh, densification and the pandemic or how a disease work and, and how actually it is important to keep a certain densification, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so... Basically, there's a there's a research that in a small community, in a small isolated com community like a small village or a small uh, town, uh, the numbers, the statistic is nine out of ten uh, people died. So this has to do with the the level of the immunity that has been built up by that uh, community. So if you are in a more densified area, you will be. Um, it will be easier for it will be easier for you to survive the Spanish flu, right? Because the number is just because the number is one every one hundred inhabitant. 
in the in the more dense denser area while in the i also mentioned about the uh 65 years old milestone where if you are if you are 65 years old you're more likely to survive the uh spanish flu compared to if you're younger than 65 years old turns out in the late 1800 there was a flu from russia and then uh and this flu apparently influenced you to to have a better immunity in your body so people who has who were exposed to this flu in the 1800 in the late 1800 has this certain immunity therefore they're therefore when they re, when they were exposed to spanish flu they can survive it better than people who were not exposed to this flu so i'm um, I'm not saying you should expose yourself to every disease possible uh, available in the world. I'm saying that if you were exposed, there's a possibility that uh, you can build your immunity and survive uh, further or even uh, worse diseases in the future. So... This is the same like like what happened basically in 1492, right? Where the yes the Spanish um, arrived to America, yeah. And before that, uh, there were a few tenth millions of of people living there, the Native American, right? And then yeah. in one year, um, that that's also there's a recent research about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so 90% of the population in one year died. That's so crazy, right? we're talking about some 10 million of people who died because people who arrived from Europe with their diseases and their, they didn't know they were sick. They didn't feel because they were resistant, right? They, they could handle it. Their body could handle mm -hmm. the, the, all the diseases that they brought with them. Uh, but the Native Americans who are never exposed to the, the germs, the same germs, they couldn't handle it. So they died from those diseases. And yeah. in one year, if you think 90% of the population. So, so it has, what we're saying here basically um, is that diversity intensification is important, right? So you have, it's not that you live in a village and you live close to each other, right? Because it's not enough. Yeah. You really have to diverse the, it's, you have to diverse the germs that you're bringing into the community. <laughs> you have to be creative with what you bring. No, but we're, yeah. We're, so, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not sponsoring you guys to go out <laughs> and expose yourself to COVID-19. No. <laughs> it reminds me how the, when we were kids, you know, when, uh, when you get the, the chicken pot and say, okay, let's bring all the kids from the neighborhood yeah. to get it also. Right. That was, yeah. that was how they did but, it once. But that's, but that's not actually how how uh, vaccine work, right? So your your expo your, your your body is exposed to a lower threshold of a lower level of virus or something like that that can activate some certain immunity system in your blood cells. If you can imagine the like a huge empires can collapse just with the power of uh, some. Like one uh, virus, one, 
of virus. That's uh, that's crazy. There's there's actually there's actually a book about it uh, from probably you heard of it, uh, Jared Diamond, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Never heard about it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but the the book the book is actually the book is actually impressive. So uh, so it's basically saying that. Uh, uh, germs is actually one of the driving force that caused the not the germs actually not not the germs per se but the but the immunity that ha that has been built because of the germs that was that that's what actually drive us into this uh, civilization so that's uh, that's actually interesting. If you guys, if you guys are interested, you should check that book out. Another uh, interesting perspective about the city and the pandemic is that actually, I think we mentioned it a little bit in our previous podcast. Um, if we're talking about leaving the city because of the pandemic, just think about that. That in the city, you have better access to hospital and doctors. Um, so just to say that if you want to be sick, just do it in the city yeah. <laughs> because you'll get better healthcare, right? And and, and specifically, I'm, I'm referring to the major cities where you normally have the better hospital mm -hmm. <laughs> with more money. Well, it's important, you know? I mean, some people I hear yeah. at one age, they're just looking for a new house for example they will look for a house next to a hospital <laughs> just to be on the safe side <laughs> so interesting perspective i think okay so um, so right now so right now we're facing covid-19 and at the point uh, at, at this point in time what we're having is basically almost similar to uh our uh, our perspective during the Broad Street uh, cholera outbreak. So back then they thought that the the working theory back then was there was this bad air, the miasma theory that that was causing the spread of the pandemic. And right now, like uh, twenty million something cases right now as of today when it was the day when we were recording is 12th of august there's 12 there's 20 millions of cases and then there are some working theory that how it spreads from air, air droplets uh from your breath so it's basically if you were in a smaller close proximity then there is a high possibility that you can caught this uh disease I think in the beginning, because people confused this uh, social distance and urban densification, so people living outside the city somehow thought they have superpowers. And um, <laughs> and what you see, for example, in Bavaria here is that mm -hmm. the the outbreaks, yeah, the sources are outside Munich, so it's not in the city; it's actually in the outskirts. So I think they it just can be that they didn't take. Um, enough caution like they didn't oh. um, so because they thought they're immune I don't know what they thought I'm just it's just uh, because 
people travel everywhere. It doesn't matter if you live in the city or in the countryside. If you went abroad and you got it, it doesn't matter. You have it and you distribute it. But uh, but if you think it's it's a city disease somehow, um, which I see why they would think it, um, then you won't take any caution and you will distribute it much more, yeah. right? If you don't yeah. wash your hands. And, and the, in the past podcast, we learn about uh, we learn about densification and now turns out there's a new word disaggregation that's uh, actually the opposite of densification in which the uh, population in the metro center is pushing outward and migrating outward from the city the push to disaggregation is actually also it's a it's an idea that's been thrown by many urban designers and architects that we need to have a smaller density. The drive to uh, disaggregate from the city has already happened even before the COVID nineteen, and then there's two main drivers. The first one is the rising property cost, and the second one is technology. So. The rising property costs, we can see it, it's already happening in metro cities in the United States. We can see New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. They are seeing more departures than arrivals among non-immigrants. So basically, people are leaving, leaving New York's uh, this big cities. And well, this, is, this is happening. One of the reasons of why is this happening is this... Uh, large metropolis has attracted uh, big companies and young educated workers with money of course to come into their cities so this uh, when you have when you have a lot of monies what happen is you will drive you will drive the price up in that city, the number of the population is not the thing that drives people away from the city. So, and even if they move away from the city, they move away from big cities like New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. They move away into a smaller city. They still also want to live in the city, in cities like Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh. The drive leaving the city is not leaving towards uh, the suburban or in the countryside. The drive is to move into a smaller and cheaper city. This is also the the, second, so what you're yeah. saying is also interesting because um, if you think about the um, to relate the pandemic to densification, mm -hmm. then you say, well, actually, where it's more dense, this is where the rich people live, and maybe yes. it's a it's a cultural thing, right? Maybe. Uh, well, maybe rich people, or let's say I'm gonna say some <laughs> some things that. Well, no, because people um, in in the upper class they can afford maybe better hygiene. Could it yes. be that they, like they have more toilets? They had separate. Like each room has its own toilet, for example, right? That's already yeah, enough yeah, to definitely. have better uh, hygiene, and then it makes. Uh, sense that why actually this the expensive city the big city the center if you go to the center this is where you have less cases and i yeah. i didn't check all the cities in the world i must say 
but this could be but there are that. but there are there are examples where the, our hypothesis sort of hold water the second problem that's facing against density is technology so uh right now we have uh, technologies such as robotics 3d printing delivery drones and stuff like that uh it's actually well simpler simply uh if you want to say internet also if you want to group that also with technology uh it's I actually do. yeah you do we do right uh it's it's actually it's a driving force to disaggregate the city the developments in technologies like internet robotics 3d printing will have will affect us to to it will be easier for us to live in a far far away distance in in the in the countryside uh but rather you, than you... rather than having uh living in the densified city but uh that's that's not necessarily true because uh even with that technology you can you can still uh you can still take the benefits of uh living in a densified area with uh, with robotics and 3d printings and everything that's uh, available so yeah that's what i'm going to say with density and technology well yes and no i mean i think they already they were already kind and, of surprised that and, when... and also and also i i i think i i think we mentioned it in the last episode where we said that uh that it's cheaper for the infrastructure if you live in a densified area about the about the netflix and stuff like that remember yeah we talked about this yeah so it's actually cheaper for it's uh it's actually um you can you can still utilize this kind of uh, development in te technology even if you're living in the city so it's uh so it's actually it's not uh, it's uh it's technology is not the opposite of density it can it can live hand in hand together i just um first of all yes obviously yes definitely mm. um but i think that this is what um because this technology, the internet, people people thought a while ago, it's nothing new. They thought mm. a long time ago already, ah, well, now that we have the internet, people will move outside the city a bit to the smaller city. Those smaller city will develop. And somehow it didn't happen. It didn't and happen. It didn't happen. The yeah, big... it didn't happen. It did happen, you say? It didn't. <laughs> ah, okay. I said it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. okay, so it didn't happen. And, the, and I think this is just to prove our point that um it's not uh only but because also maybe if some people did move and then they moved back um because it 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 brings back the lifestyle um argument right because yeah. even if you're so you can work all day long right and it's fine doesn't matter where you do it but after you work you just want to enjoy uh sitting in the beer garden with friends or you want to go to the gym or you whatever you want to do will be always easier and more accessible if you live in a bigger city and um, because bigger city means more options uh probably you you will find what you like in your 
area or you have to drive a bit, but still very close and you have the yeah. public transport or bicycles, very easy, very accessible. And also um, you will have more of uh, friends, people you know, so you can always find someone to go with you, for example, if this is what mm -hmm. you're after. So, yeah, um, yeah we, we always had this vision of how cities will change but at the end i think uh the human interaction face-to-face -face interaction is stronger this is why i think also the covid 19 is is just temporary change so yeah technology yeah. will change but the city will grow stronger and yeah. it will That's just yeah evolutionize the city in a way and also uh Density against technology is an interesting topic. We're going to talk about it in the future. So dive deeper into it. So subscribe our channel. Yeah, you can actually follow us on uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Maybe you should this... say it. Maybe you should say it as a as a final thing, um, like all together without. Me ah, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> So well, should we say it again? No, no, just at the end of the at the end of the recording. Okay, you can record it. You mean? Yeah. Okay. So and also we uh, we talk about how COVID is actually uh, is actually driving people out out of the city and the cause of the cause of the spread of the. Uh, the cause of the spread of the of COVID nineteen is actually based uh, because of the because of the density that we created in the urban area. But actually, density is not only the factor at play. The problem is the kind of density that will impact uh, your lifestyle. If I can say it easily, the rich, dense place where people can afford to shelter in a place and then work remotely and have all their needs catered, they can survive this pandemic better than the poor, dense places that push people to go out uh, on the streets and uh, have to work for foods and go into crowded transit and so forth. According to... Richard, Florida, turns out COVID-19 is not hitting the hardest uber dense in Manhattan, but it's hitting the hardest in the less dense outer borough like Bronx, Queen, or even as far as Staten Island. Because of the population who live there. Not because of the, not because of the density, not because of the population, but because of the uh, economic level of the people who live there, the yeah. demographic of the people who live there. So yeah. if the population is poor, then you're likely to get infected by COVID-19 because you have to go out and work and uh, interact with uh, in, the, in the public, taking public facilities and stuff like that. So the issue is not, it's not density. The issue is uh, economic levels. Or maybe the infrastructure has to be improved. Like the public facilities? Because with... everybody needs to work, everybody needs to go to the office, right? Not everybody can work from home. Some could, but yeah, as you said, like the public transportation, if you need to 
use the bus, you cannot keep two meter apart from the people always, right? So even if yeah. you wear masks, but you touch everything and then you touch your mouth and it's very contagious. Yeah. Uh, we should maybe focus on, on, on those elements. Yes, instead of this aggregating the city. Exactly. True. Yeah. So Hagar, yes, now that we're <laughs> now that we're we have these examples and we have these issues, what do you think would change with COVID 19s in the city? So what do we think about um, the future of the city after um, the the first day after COVID 19? So I think it will probably not affect um, the city so much and that aspect of social distance. So there, as I said, this is very different from urban densification, which I think is still needed and will increase, in fact. Yeah. Um, as the benefits are still higher um, and needed for uh, to answer uh, global warming, um, we really have to leave most of nature alone. So therefore, we have to keep on densify the city. Today, cities house the health of the world population, up from only 10% in 1900, and the urban population will only grow further um, to two-thirds of the global population in 2050. Yep. And this actually, the, the rise of the numbers of the population has been an ongoing irreversible force since the beginning of the agricultural revolution. If you if you imagine this drive has been the drive since ancient cities like uh, Mesopotamia or Mahenjo-daro or something like that at the beginning of our civilization. And it will continue long after this episode is mixed and published the pandemic may decelerate densification but it will not end it this is the end of our podcast and the last under the topic covid19 in the city next topic is politics in the city we will dive deeper into subjects such as urban boundaries and how it affects the city. And currently we are learning about smart cities implications and the dark side as well as the positive sides of technology. And we will share it here with you. We hope you enjoyed it. You're welcome to follow us here or on Instagram. Just look for at and the city project. We publish articles regularly. You will find it in urbannext.net. You're welcome to read more about the topics concerning us, nature, and the city. Thank you for listening. Adios.